We are starting 40 days of community today, and I'm very excited about this. And here's the thing. I want to, I want to encourage you to engage on one, two, three, or four levels. Now, whatever the next big spiritual step is for you, that's the one to take. For some of you, I'm going to ask you, and this could be big because you've never done this before. I'm going to ask you to come to church six weeks in a row, six Sundays in a row, starting with today. If you're already here, you got one out of six done. If you're tuning in, want, you know, either show up or tune in six Sundays in a row live, not on Tuesday afternoon, live. Make that commitment. Then the second commitment would be to get the devotional book. Um, many of you have already gotten these. It's a 40 days of community, 40-day devotional. Every day, you'll get about two pages, two pages and one big pick, really a page and a half is what it comes out to. And then on the back, it's got a point to ponder, a verse to remember, and a question. And it's got a little journal here for, for prayer requests and to answer this, this question here. Um, it's about 10 minutes every day. Once you spend 10 minutes with God every morning or afternoon or evening, 10 minutes a day, and uh, grab one of those. Those are $8. They're out at the... Uh, we only have 250 of these, probably a couple hundred are already gone, so you need to get one today if, uh, if you're going to get one. So you engage by jumping into the weekly service once a week, six weeks in a row, the 40-day devotion. The third way to get involved is to get into a small group, um, a 40-day small group. We have, this morning, we had 169 people signed up for these groups. Um, I know of at least six more. That puts us to 175. That doesn't count the high school kids. There's about 40 of them. And the collective is our college, our college and young adults. If you don't know what a young adult is, you aren't one. Um, young adults are anything if your age starts with a two in front of it, okay? So once you hit 30, or if, if you look anything like me, you, you know you're too old for the collective. They meet every Sunday night at 7 o'clock in here. Um, they'll be taking the college students and the young adults. There may be a 30-year-old or two that sneak through, but it's like a 3-0 oh, uh, that get in. Um, so our goal is to have 250 people. I think we're going to hit our goal. Um, if you want to be in a group, you can sign up by clicking on the QR code there. We will help you find a group. As I said, most of them are, are full, so you may have to start your own group or join one of our Zoom groups online um, but we can help you with that. Um, we need some. I've had two people step up from the first service and say, hey, one of them said, I'll lead a Zoom group. The other one said, I'll lead a regular group. Um, so we will, um, we need a couple more group leaders as well. The other couple of things I want to draw your attention to next week is our annual church business meeting. If you're into like charts and budgets and you want to hear all the different miracles that God did. God, what a great year. 2021 is our best year ever. We have such a generous church. God did so many great things. I'll be sharing those next Sunday afternoon from 2 to 3. Um, and then I want you to notice that at the end of the... Those of you with students, with middle school and high school students, um, I know you've just gone through um, Christmas and you're probably feeling, oh my goodness, how did we spend, how did we spend so much on Amazon? Um, but this is the month, this is when they schedule Rock the Universe. Rock the Universe is coming up at the end of the month for high schoolers and middle schoolers at $75. And then we're going back to Fuge this summer, and the deposits for Fuge are due 
um, at the end of January as well. I'm sorry those both clobber you right at the end of January. If you've got three teenagers, we will have loan officers out in the uh, lobby to help you with the second mortgage because um, it, it's, a, it, it's a lot. They're going to Fuge this summer. It'll be Father's Day weekend is when they're leaving. So dads are like, Yes, send my kids to camp for Father's Day. Maybe you can go on a cruise if they're doing cruises um, that week. Okay, I think that's everything. Oh, and at the end of the at the end of the month is uh, class 101 and 201. I'll tell you more about that in the next couple of weeks, but you can kind of get it on your calendar. I want to take a moment and pray for those uh, who are struggling with COVID right now. If you don't mind joining me, Heavenly Father. This has gone on so long, and now we have so many more people sick. I just want to pray for them that you help them to get better, to get their strength back. Lord, I realize that this particular variant, most of it is is a really bad cold and fatigue, but for some people, um, it's very, very debilitating, and it comes with a lot of of nasty sickness, and for some people, Lord, even hospitalization. I pray for those that are in the hospital that you'll help them to get the treatments that they need um, that will help them to to bounce back. And I just pray, uh, I pray that you'll protect us, Lord. Seems like this is going to everybody who hasn't had it um, is getting it. Maybe you're going to use this to to finally get us to some kind of natural immunity that they talk about. However you choose to do it, Lord, I just. I just pray we don't have to learn the whole Greek alphabet, that there's not going to be variant after variant. But, Lord, whatever happens this year, we're putting our trust in you. Obviously, politicians don't have the answers. And even the medical community, they've given us a lot of answers, but they're still dealing with something they don't know. You're the only one who knows our future. And we put our trust in you. Some may trust in horses, some may trust in chariots, but we trust, we put our trust in the name of the Lord. No matter what 2022 brings us, Lord, we're going to follow you and trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, if you've got your, your program, and I want to turn that inside out for the outline. Got a lot of things I want you to jot down. Well, it's been two years, y'all, two years since we kicked off a new year with the spiritual growth campaign right out of the gate. Two years ago. Can anyone even remember January of 2020? Doesn't that seem like decades ago? We started, it seems like so long ago, doesn't it? We started 40 Days of Purpose two years ago this weekend. And we talked about how God has created us for five purposes. Worship, fellowship, discipleship, ministry, and mission. And by the end of the 40 days of purpose, COVID was already among us. We didn't realize it. That happened. We finished right around... um, Valentine's Day, the week after the Super Bowl, we had a big Super Bowl party. And then over the next couple of weeks, we started hearing words like lockdown. Two weeks to flatten the curve. They closed Disney World. That's when I knew it was serious. They canceled March Madness and they closed Disney World. And I was like, oh, this is big. Two weeks to flatten the curve turned into 30 days to help the health care system get the ventilators built. Kids never went back to school after the longest spring break ever, did they? Are they still on spring break, some of them? Office buildings emptied out. Heck, we even had to cancel meeting in church eight Sundays in a row. 
We never missed a Sunday except one time, one Sunday for Hurricane that was late. Should have never canceled church for Irma. Church in America went online and everything else went to Zoom, didn't it? Travel bans, masks, PPEs, distancing, plexiglass, vaccines, variants, boosters. It's all been so overwhelming and honestly so exhausting. A million things we've had to learn about over the last two years. And two million things to argue about. It's all been very isolating. It's fractured families. It's fractured friendships. It's even split some churches. No matter what you believe on any current subject, it seems like half the country disagrees with you. You want to know why it seems that way? Simple. Half the country does disagree with you on any different subject. We are so polarized about everything. That's right. Half the country is wrong. Which half? Well, the half that doesn't agree with you, obviously. And all of this has led us to the most isolated and lonely time in modern history. Never before have we been so digitally connected yet so relationally and socially disconnected. And the impact has been devastating. Increases in anxiety and depression and suicide are off the chart. Don't even get me started about divorce and school violence and addictions and a dozen other subjects. So what are we going to do? What are we going to do? How are we going to survive this stressed-out society? How are you going to survive? You. How are you going to keep your family safe in this crazy world, as Jennifer mentioned? You. It comes down to your decisions. Today I want to start with a radically counterculture message. What I want to talk about this morning is the exact opposite of what we've been taught most of our lives by culture, by our society. But God promises if we do this, if we do it His way, that we'll never again have to struggle with loneliness. That we'll be able to overcome things like fatigue and fear and frustration and failure if we'll apply God's Word and do what He talks about. We'll even be able to handle depression in despair. And we can replace that with hope. Because that's what we need is hope heading in to 2022. And the concept we're going to talk about is, is community. In America, we idolize independence. We started our country with the Declaration of Independence. We love songs. Us oldies love songs. Like, I've got to be me, and I did it my way. I don't need anyone to tell me what it's about. We've bought into this myth that says the key to happiness is independence. 
that if I have relational independence and I have financial independence and I have independence in, in every other area of life, if I don't let anybody in close to me, too close, but I'm totally self-sufficient, I can pull myself up by my own bootstraps, I depend on me, if I'll do all that, then I'll be happy. Well, obviously that's not true. Every year the suicide rate rises, especially the last two years. Almost all of us can name somebody we knew personally who's taken their own life. God says the key to happiness is not independence, but instead interdependence. We need each other. In fact, he says we belong to each other as believers. We need community in our lives. And God has wired each of us this way. He wired you to not to go through life alone as a solitary individual. He wired you to go through life as part of a community. Romans 12.5 says it this way. Since we are all one body in Christ, we belong to each other. Each of us needs all the others. We need each other. God says community is not optional. Now, you may not feel that way. You may feel like, hey, I don't need anybody else. I don't need other people in my life. But the truth is, you absolutely have to have other people in your life if you're going to be everything God's made you to be. If you're going to accomplish what God's put you on this planet to accomplish, you have to have other people in your life. When we went through 40 Days of Purpose a couple years ago, the big idea of that spiritual journey over those 40 days was that God put you on the earth for five purposes, five reasons. That you're not on the planet just to live for yourself, but that God has a reason for you existing and a purpose for you being here, and it was to fulfill those, those purposes. That was the big idea behind 40 Days of Purpose. Today I want us to start a journey of the next 40 days on an even bigger idea, and that is this, that we cannot fulfill the five purposes we talked about last time. We cannot fulfill God's purposes for our lives by ourselves. There's no way that we can be all God wants us to be. There's no way that we can do all that God wants us to do. There's no way that we can fulfill the purposes that we're put on this planet to fulfill by ourselves. We have to do it in relationship to other people. We need each other. We belong to each other in the body of Christ. So we're going to focus on probably the greatest lesson that there is in life over the next 40 days. That's what we're going to focus on. What's the most important thing we need to learn to do while we're on the planet for the 80, 90, 100 years that we're here. Well, the most important thing according to God's word is we've got to learn to love. To love him with all our heart, soul, and mind. And to love each other, our neighbor as ourself. So we're going to look at how to love. We're going to take apart the love chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. That's what we're going to start with in our small groups. And we're going to ask questions like, why do relationships go bad? And... How do you turn a bad relationship into a good one or a bad friendship that's gone bad into a good one? What is it? How does God use other people in our lives to make us better, to help us to accomplish 
what we want to accomplish, what he wants to accomplish. So we're going to discuss and discover what it means to develop true, intimate, close relationships. And today I just want to give you a little introduction. I want us to look at why do we need each other, five reasons God's Word says we need God's family. Specifically, five reasons why we need other people in our life and why we need a small group. So if you grab your pen and you'll start jotting these down, the number one reason... I need others in my life is I need others to walk with me. Will you fill that in? I need others to walk with me. What does that mean? It means I need you to help me grow spiritually. You need others to help you grow spiritually. Colossians 2, 6, and 7 says, Just as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Do you know the Bible often compares life to a walk? Why does it do that? Well, it's because we're on a journey. We don't just sit still in life. We're not where we used to be. We're not where we're going to be. We're on a journey. It's called the spiritual life, the Christian life, a walk. All throughout the New Testament, we're told to walk in wisdom, to walk in love, to walk in light. We're told to walk in obedience, to walk in the Spirit, to walk as Jesus walked. Many other ways the Bible tells us to live our life as we walk through life. One of the things that's important for us to learn is as we're walking through life, we have to learn how to cooperate with other people. We have to learn how to get along with other people. If we go through life isolated and we never learn how to cooperate with other people, we never learn how to get along with other people, we miss out on one of the greatest lessons of life. This goes all the way back to the very, 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 the very beginning. We go all the way back to the Garden of Eden you'll see that the very first thing that God said after he created Adam, he placed Adam in a perfect place. I say this, I use this verse at every single wedding that I ever officiate at. God looks in Genesis 2.18, and he says, It is not good for man to be alone. First thing he says after he creates Adam, he places him in the perfect place, the Garden of Eden, and he says, It's not good for man to be alone. God hates loneliness. So what is his antidote? What did he do to solve that? He created two groups. A physical family and a spiritual family. The physical family is the one you grew up in. It might be your biological family or it might be your adopted family who raised you. The spiritual family is the one that's going to go all the way into eternity. That's God's family. God adopts you into his family. Your physical family eventually moves apart. They eventually, they die off. It doesn't go on and on. But your spiritual family, God's church is going to go on forever and ever and ever. And God says, I want you to be connected into my family, the family. I want to adopt you. I want you to be a child of God. Hebrews 10 says, let us not give up the habit of meeting together. Notice it's a habit. 
something that you do all the time. He says, let's not give up the habit of meeting together. Instead, let us encourage one another. He says, I've created you for a community, and I want you in this community to encourage each other. Now, that verse isn't talking about what we do on Sunday morning. On Sunday morning, when you come to a worship service on Sunday morning, we have anywhere from 50 to 100 people in this room. Anywhere from 100 to 150 people on campus at each service each Sunday. That's not a community. That's a crowd. We, we can't really encourage each other here. How, how much can you encourage someone during a worship service? Now, I know. I mean, you, we don't even get a chance to talk to each other during a worship service. I know some of you do during the announcement time. I'm working on that. And some of you do you know, do some of the songs. But when we're sitting in rows and we're all facing the same way, we can learn a few things. But what we don't get to do is encourage each other. This can only happen really in a small group. In fact, that's one of the reasons why we have donut time. is because we value relationships so much here at SEC. We want to give you time on Sunday mornings to connect with people. You're still not going to be able to do life together and encourage each other like we're going to talk about with just a couple of people and a donuts and some coffee around a, you know, a pub table out in the, in the pavilion. But it's a start so that you can start some relational connection. Let me ask you a question. Can you be in a crowd and still be lonely? Oh, yeah. You, you could be a stadium of 70,000 people. you got the wrong jersey on all by yourself. You, you're, you're all alone. You can be a, in, a, in a crowded elevator. People are right there with you, but you're alone. So we're not talking about the size of the crowd. We're talking about connectedness with people who encourage you. Because community, fill this in, community is God's answer to loneliness. It's the longing for belonging. We all need a place where we can practice love. It's what the world needs. We need to learn how to love each other. And the Bible says we have to have other people in our life as we're walking through life. Because I need other people in order to grow. I can't grow into Christ-likeness. I can't grow even in the fruits of the Spirit without other people that I'm in relationship with. The Bible is very clear about this. can't grow without other people. Why? Because life is about relationships, not about achievements. God is love, and God wants me, his child, to learn to love him and to learn to love other people. It's a great commandment. They ask Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. If we're on this planet 80, 90, 100 years, and we don't learn how to love God and love others, we've missed the two most important things on the final exam. We stand before God one day, and God's going, you didn't learn how to love me. You didn't learn how to love others. What did you do for 90 years? We say, well, I did it my way. You know, I, I had to be me. I, I thought it was all about independence. Wrong answer, wrong answer, wrong answer. And you see, the truth is you can't even really learn community without being in community. Not a crowd, but community. That's why during the next 40 days, I'm asking everyone in our church 
to get in a small group for six weeks. Not for the rest of your life. I'm not asking you for a lifetime commitment. Just for the next six weeks as we study about what it means to be in community, be a part of a community while you're studying this. And I said, if, if, you don't have, if we don't have a small group that has openings on the night of your choosing, and I've got some people right now There's like, Tuesday night's the only night I can be in a group, Jerry. There's no, group, there's, no, there's no groups on Tuesday night, so I guess I'm off the hook. No, 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 no. If there's not a group open or there's not one on your night of the week, you just need to start a group. I'll help you. I'll help you, start. you can host a group. You know what it takes to host a group? Three people in your living room. You, your wife, and Joe across the street. Go get Joe and bring him in and say, hey, we're starting a group. 40 days of community. We want you, and he's going to be like, I don't want to be in your group. So we'll feed you. And bring Joe in, and the three of you, you got a group. Now, if you, if you, if you want to do a Zoom group, you need four people. Someone asked me, why do I need four people with a Zoom group? I only need three people to have a, a face-to-face group. I said, have you been on Zoom? I said, you're always going to have one person. <clears throat> They're always frozen. They're always like, put mute, put, turn your mute on. Yeah, we can't hear you, you know. So you need at least one extra person on Zoom because there's always one, right? Hopefully you only have one. So if you've got four people on a Zoom call, any time of the day you guys can get together. Here's the thing. If you, if you know how to press play on a DVD player, you can host a group. If you know how to click the little triangle on a streaming window, you can host a group. I'm going to do all the teaching for you. I've taken Rick Warren's videos that he shot almost 20 years ago with their permission of course they gave me the transcripts and we updated and i shot the video um teaching video one is already up for for teams for groups to use today all you've got to do put some coffee and some you know some cookies out and press play and at the end of the chapter read the three questions and say is there anything we can pray for you about that's it i can help you do this you can do this so that's the first reason to get in a group. We need people to walk with us. Second thing, I need people filled in. I need, I need others to work with me. I need people to work with me. The Bible says God put you on this planet to do a certain work that only you can do. Ephesians 2.10 says God made us to do good works. Circle good works. God made us to do good works which he planned in advance for us to live our lives doing. God plans for you in advance for you to live your lives doing these good works. You see, before you were even born, God gave you gifts. He gave you talents. He gave you abilities. He knew the natural abilities, gifts, and talents that he was going to give you. He knew the background that he was going to give you. He chose where you would be born. He chose the parents that you would be born to. None of us chose our parents, right? They're like, well, we didn't choose you either. God made that choice. He even chose when you were going to be born, whether you're going to be born in the 60s like me or the 70s, the 80s, or you're a millennial. Why didn't God choose you to be born in Jesus' time or in the Middle Ages or in colonial America? God picked the time, the place the people that you were born to, none, none of us picked that. God did. He had a plan, and his plan included what he, the good works he wanted you to be equipped to do while you were here. 
Anytime you use your talents and your abilities to help someone else, there's a word for that. It's called ministry. When you use your talents and your gifts to help other people, it's you're being a minister. Not a pastor. We're all ministers, even though we're not all pastors, ministers. And what that means is when you use your gifts and how God has wired you to help other people, you're doing what God wants you to do, these good works that he planned for you to spend your life doing. He says those are the good works. Now, remember, we've talked about this many times. Life on earth is practice for eternity. You get a maximum of about 100 years here on this planet. But you're going to have trillions of years in heaven. And while we're in heaven for those trillions of years, we're going to be doing four things. One of the things that we're going to be doing is we're going to be serving God. And God says, I want you to practice serving me by serving others while you're here on this earth because you're going to be serving God for all of eternity. So I want you to learn to serve. In heaven, when you get there, everybody's going to have work to do in heaven. I don't know if you realize that. Some people are like, they think of heaven as, we're all going to be on a cloud, we're going to be thumping a harp for all of eternity, trillions of years of harp playing. That doesn't sound like heaven, that sounds like hell to me. No, we're going to have work to do. And you may be like, well, Jerry, that sounds like hell to me if we've got to work. Because your version, your vision of work hasn't been very positive. But God says, no, we're all going to have work to do, projects to do. We're all going to work together doing it. We're all going to do our little piece of that work. And when we're done, we're going to have this huge sense of accomplishment. Like, look what we did together, working together with God's help. And we're going to do that. For all of eternity, heaven's not going to be boring for trillions of years. We're going to be accomplishing what God calls us to do. Now, this isn't a message on heaven. But what happens on earth is sometimes you get so worn out, you get so exhausted, you're so burned out. Some of you came into church, you're crawling into 2022 exhausted and burned out. Why? Because you're trying to do it all, and you're trying to do it all by yourself. That's why you're worn out. And God never meant for you to go through life walking alone or working alone. You need to be in relationship with other people who will help you to get done what God wants you to do because you're going to do it with them. God wants them to do that as well. Otherwise, you're going to be burned out and you're going to be fatigued all the time. God tells us in the Bible why we're supposed to work together. Look what it says in Ecclesiastes 4.9. It says two people are better than one because they get more done by working together. We all know this is true. Two people get more done by working together. You get more accomplished as in, a team, in a team as you do with an individual. It's a lot more fun, too. There's synergy that goes together with teamwork. And it's a lot less tiring because you learn to cooperate together. There's all kind of benefits to working together. Community is, is God's answer to fatigue. Will you fill that in? Community is God's answer to fatigue. If you're tired, it's because you don't have the relationships built to help you 
to support you in what you need to do, what God has called you to do. You ever remember watching a TV show or a movie where the Amish built a barn? Anybody ever seen the Amish build a barn on in a and it's it's like they do it in one day, y'all. The whole community comes together. And it's like there's nothing there in the morning, just a, a green hill, and then over then next thing you know, over the hill, all these guys in suspenders and weird beard haircuts, they start showing up. And by the end of the day, it's gone from green grass to there's a barn there. How in the world can you build a whole barn in one day? They raise a barn in a day because everybody does their little piece. Everybody has a job and everybody gets their part done. Galatians 6.10 puts it this way. Every time we get the chance, let us work for the benefit of all. I need others to work with me. Let us work for the benefit of all, starting with the people closest to us in the community of faith. What's the community of faith? It's our, it's our church family. I need people to walk with me through life. I need people to work with me through life. Third thing I want you to jot down. I need others to watch out for me. This is so important. I'm talking about people who will defend me. I'm talking about people who will stand up for me. I'm talking about people who will protect me. I'm talking about people who will keep me staying on track. I'm talking about people who will watch my back and warn me. We all need this because we all have blind spots. We can't see behind us. Philippians 2, 4 says, Look out for one another's interest. Circle one another's interest, not just your own. You want to talk about a counterculture virtue for our society? This is it. Because in America, it's generally, it's all about me. It's all about my needs and my interests and my wants, and I can be whatever I want to be and my desires. My but forget you. I live for myself. We learn this from culture. We teach it to our kids. Forget about everybody else. It says our culture says I'm going to look out for my own interest. But this verse says don't just look out for your own interest. Look out for others too. It's like. Does anybody remember, do they still have these, the neighborhood watch signs? Does anybody still have a neighborhood watch sign where, they're, where they're, we're looking out for each other? Now, I know some of you, you live, in a, you live out in the woods, you're in the redneck areas where they have, the, the neighborhood watch signs has Smith & Wesson on it, it's right? It's like, we watch out for each other here, bud, you know. You're not welcome here if you're not from this neighborhood. We're looking out for each other. Some of you, uh, maybe not, maybe no, no rednecks, they were all in the first service. You know, we know what you mean. You know, my guess is, look, if you're going to go on vacation this summer, maybe you're going to get a week off, maybe you're going to go away for two weeks, you go see your family or whatever, you're going to say to your neighbor, don't you have at least one neighbor where you can say, hey, I'm going to be gone for a week, I'm going to be gone for a couple of weeks, can you please watch out for my house? Can you please watch our stuff? I mean, nowadays, it's apparent, I know you've got your cameras and you've got your ring, but you can't depend on ring and the cameras. In fact, for us, we got. I got to go to my neighbors, and I got to call some people that I know walk. They walk every day in front of my house. That Natalie, Chris, thank you so much for always doing this. They get our Amazon packages because when we're gone, we shop, don't you? 
You know, it's like, oh, you know, a package after package. I, I blame this on most wives, but in my family, it's not Nancy. It's me, you know. The package, 6 o'clock in the morning, you know, it'll be there all day long, all week long, because I found a deal. Um, so you ask somebody, hey, watch out for my stuff. Watch my, watch my house. Watch out for my stuff. We all want our stuff looked at, looked after, and that's a good thing to have your stuff looked after, watched out for. But my question isn't, is anybody watching out for your stuff? My question is, is anybody watching out for your soul? Because your soul's a lot more important than your stuff. Is there anybody in your life who helps you stay on track spiritually? Is there anybody in your life who loves you enough to pick up the phone and say, Hey, man, I haven't seen you in a couple weeks at church. Everything okay? You guys all right? You know, you tested positive too? You know, somebody's going to call. Somebody's going to notice. Somebody who knows your name. Who's going to say, Hey, I'm not going to let you get discouraged. I'm not going to let you drop out. I'm not going to let you quit. I'm not, I'm not going to let you get tired. I'm here with you. I'm supporting you. I'm committed to you. You have people like that in your corner? And they encourage your spiritual life? And if you don't have anybody like that, that's sad because this is the place that you can connect with other believers and you can have that in your life and you can be that in their life. Hebrews 13.1, because the fact is we all have blind spots. We all have things we can't see. Hebrews 13.1 says, Keep being concerned about each other as the Lord's followers should. We should care about each other. We're family. We're God's family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And I should defend you, and you should defend me. And I help you stay on track, and you help me stay on track. And it says, keep being concerned. Kurt Circle, keep. That means it's not just once. That means you're vigilant. It's all the time. You're standing watch. You're watching their back. In a war, everyone has to take a turn at being the sentry. You know what that is? That, that is, at night, when everybody goes to sleep, we take turn. First watch, second watch, third watch. And we're watching over everyone so they can get a good night's sleep. In case the enemy comes crashing in, we can wake him up. Did you know that you have an enemy? Did you know? Oh, yes, you have a personal enemy. He hates your guts. He wants to defeat you. He wants to ruin your children, ruin your marriage, wreck your life. His name is Satan. Satan wants to mess up your life. Satan wants to bring problems into your life. It's amazing to me in America today that there are people, even in church, that go, well, I believe in God, but I don't believe in Satan. I don't know how you can do that. Now, I know people don't go to church and they're like, I don't believe in God, the Bible, Satan, any of that stuff. I get them. But it's so hard for me to get, well, I believe in God, but I don't believe that God says he threw Lucifer out of an angel out of heaven and that now... He seeks to destroy and wreck my life. But he does. Why would he do that, by the way? Why does Satan hate us so much? Why does he want to ruin our life? What did we do to him? I'll tell you why. It's because he can't hurt God. Satan wants to hurt God. That's what he would love to be able to do, but he can't. So when you can't hurt somebody, what do you do? Well, you go after their children. That's how you hurt them. If you couldn't get to me, you go after my wife or my kids or my, my grandkids now. 
you mess with my grandkids and I turn into nuclear pastor. I go crazy. People are going, oh, he said he can be a jerk. I, I see what he means. You know, he said he's not gentle. I've been telling the, he's been telling us this for years. I, I, I'm with you, Pastor. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you go after my kids, my grandkids. You try to hurt them. That hurts me. I'll hurt you. In Jesus' name, of course. <laughs> Jesus will put your ear back on. <laughs> oh, I'm like Peter. I'm sorry. So the devil doesn't care who he hurts. He wants to hurt you and mess up your life anyway. So the moment you wake up every morning, there's somebody plotting and scheming to wreck your life, to get you to blow it with anger, to get you to spend your life, your day worrying all day, to get you to be depressed or to, or, or to have guilt or shame or bitterness in your life. He, he'll tempt you with addictions when satan attacks he doesn't come as a little as a little miniature on your on your shoulder whispering in your ear with you know pointy tail and and uh and a pitchfork that's not who he is he's coming at you through the habits you can't break he's coming at you through the hurts that you won't let go of he's coming at you through relationships that hurt you and and betray you he works through people sometimes, it seems. Even church people sometimes. Henry Blackaby in Experiencing God says, Reality number one is that God is always at work around you. God is always at work around you. And I always follow that up with a parenthesis. Say, and the devil's not far behind. He's always at work around you, trying to hurt you, trying to get you hung up on things. Most Christians live lead a defeated life. Why? Because they're trying to fight them on their own. If you try to fight the devil all alone, that's dumb. You're never going to win a war against the devil on your own. You need a team of believers praying for you, watching your back, helping you as you fight this fight. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, A person standing alone can be attacked. Oh yeah, they can. And defeated. But two standing back to back can conquer. Three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Folks, when I read that, I see small group. He says you watch out for each other. So here's my question. Is anybody watching your back? Who's watching your back? Is anybody watching out for your spiritual welfare? Who? Do you have anybody close like that to you? If you're a guy, do you have some guys in your in your group like that? Women, if you're do you have some women in your group like that that when you're going through tough times, they're right there with you saying, "Look, we're not going to let you get discouraged. We're not going to let you get depressed. We're not going to let you get worried. We're going to be here with you because we're committed to you." Do you have anybody you're committed to like that? If you don't, then there's a big bullseye on your back where the devil's going, Satan's going, "Ah, they're isolated. They're alone. That's a weak one. We can wreak havoc in their life. They're not connected to a group. So community, if you'll fill this in, is God's answer to defeat. God's answer to defeat. 
Because Ecclesiastes 4.10 says, If one person falls, another can reach out and help. But a person, but people who are alone when they fall are in real trouble. So you need other people in your life. Some problems in life only get tackled by gang tackling, by a team tackling. Some problems only get solved that way. I need people to walk with me, work with me, watch out for me. And number four, and this is a big one, we need people, I need people to wait with me and weep with me. I need people to wait with me and weep with me. I'm talking about waiting when I'm waiting for the bad news. When you're waiting for bad news, you shouldn't be waiting alone. You should be waiting with somebody. And when you get the bad news, you want to have somebody there to weep with you when I get the bad news. I need people in the inevitable crises of life, the tragedies of life that we're all going to face and we don't want to face alone. As your pastor, I especially feel this one. I see this on a regular basis. The situations that nobody should ever have to go through alone. Look, nobody should ever, should ever have to wait in a hospital room alone while their loved one is having a life or death surgery. Nobody should wait alone. Nobody should ever have to stand in front of an open grave as they bury a loved one. Nobody should ever have to wait alone. No woman should ever have to wait alone for test results to come back for a problem pregnancy. Nobody should have to spend the first night, their first night alone after their spouse dies. Nobody. Nobody should ever have to spend the first night alone after their husband walks out or their wife walks out. And the fact is, some of these things are going to happen to you. It's inevitable. You're going to have loved ones that die. I was here 24 hours ago, standing right here doing a a funeral for a guy who lost the love of his life, three daughters who lost their mom, extended family, sisters, and their 58-year-old mom, sister, relative passed away way too young. Nobody should have to go through those situations in life alone, but you're going to have loved ones who die. You're going to go through tragedy. You're going to get bad health news someday. You might even find out one day that you're dying. A large group of us, percentage of us, are going to get that call and we're going to realize you've got something terminal. You only have X number of weeks, months, or time to go. And we need other people in our life when those inevitable tragedies happen. You say, well, I've got my spouse. In me and her, that's all we need. No, it's not all you need. Because you might be the one who's gone someday. Who's there for her or she's gone? Who's there for you? Who are you there for? Only a fool would go through life totally unprepared for something that you know is inevitably going to happen. The time to build that safety net, the time to build those relationships, the time to build that group of people is now. Not when you're in the middle of a tragedy. In the middle of a tragedy, you can't go www.smallgroups.com or 1-800-SEND-ME-A-GROUP. 
You need to have those relationships already in place. What is God's safety net to a group of other believers? Now, you don't need 100. You don't need 25. But you need five or six people, your posse, that they're going to be committed to you through thick and thin. And you find that in God's family. First Peter, let me give you a couple of verses. First Peter 3.8. This is one of my favorite verses, the Living Bible Paraphrase of this says, you should be like one big happy family full of sympathy toward each other. That's how the church should be, like one big happy family. 1 Corinthians 12, 26, ESV says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. You see, community is God's answer to despair. Community is God's answer to despair. Romans 12 Paul puts it very bluntly to us. He says, be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. We do that in a small group. Somebody has a good thing happen. They got a promotion. They got a graduation. They got a celebration. Their kids had a baby. They're a brand new grandparent. It's like party time at small group. And then when somebody has a a tragedy or a tough time and they cry, the whole small group weeps with them. By the way, a lot of time in small groups, people don't know how to handle it the first time you see somebody get emotional or break down or a tear start roll down their face. Let me just give you a little tip. Whether you're leading the small group or not, a tear in a small group is always a sign it's time to pray. We need to stop and pray. Just time out, time out. We need to pray. That's what you do. Whenever you see a tear, that's when it's time to stop and pray. And it's like, let's just stop right now and pray for Mary. She just got this this bad news, this devastating news from her sister, let's just stop and pray for her right now. And you stop and a couple of people pray. You can't believe what that does for Mary, and you can't believe what that does for the rest of the group. Let's just stop for a minute. Let's just pray for Bob. Bob's worked for that company for 22 years. He's given his life to that corporation. They just laid him off with only a week's notice, and he's devastated. Let's just stop and pray. You can't believe what that does for Bob. You can't believe what that does for everybody praying for Bob and that relationship and that bond that's there. That's what God wants for you in your life. And then that's the sign you just need to pray. You don't need to fix their problem. You don't need to hire Bob. You don't need to, to heal Mary's sister. They don't want you to fix it. They just want you to empathize and sympathize with them. Know that they're going through the crisis with someone by them, praying for them. Locking arms with them. Just sit there and be silent and hold their hand. That's all you got to do. In fact, that's what I encourage you to do. Sometimes we get in trouble and we feel like, well, I, I, need to, I need to fix this. Let me just give them an advice. And we give bad advice. Lots of bad advice in small groups. Just What we need to do is to be quiet. I say it this way. Show up and shut up. You know, hopefully you can remember it that way. I don't need to have a magic Bible verse to make all their pain go away. I just need to be there with them in it. That's what they need. All right, last one. Hope oh, i got to give you this verse. First Thessalonians 5.11. Encourage each other and give each other strength. Fifth reason. I'll wrap this up real quick. I also need others to witness with me. What do I mean by that? Does that mean i got to have somebody else go with me? got to door to door and, you know, knock on the door and, you know, you need to... Turn or burn or you're going to die and fry as we fly to the sky. Is that what you're talking about, Jerry? Well, maybe. That could be what God... But that's not the most effective witness. Do you know what the most effective witness is for your mission? By the way, God has given you a story to tell. Your own 
personal story, your own personal testimony or mission. And there's great power when we tell it together. If you want help with how to tell your own, figure out what your personal story is and then how to share that, we do that in class 401. Mission matters. So you make it around the basis of class 401, that's where you can have the, the tools necessary to do that. But what is the best witness of people who are outside of the family of God, who don't know the love of God? How do you best witness to them? The Bible says the best way you witness to them is by loving other people within the family of God. This is actually your memory verse for this week. It's John 13.35. It says, Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. God doesn't say your love for me will prove. God says your love to the family of God, to each other, other believers. That's what's going to prove to the world that you're, you're in the family of God, that you've stepped across the line of faith, that you're headed for heaven, that you love other people in the family of God. Now, if you don't love anybody else in the family of God or you find it hard to love people in the family of God, then you've got a reason to doubt, am I really in the family of God? Because the Bible says if you're in God's family, you're a child of God, you're going to have love for other, the other children of God, even though they're not perfect. There's nobody perfect in God's family except Jesus. And that's what impresses the community around you. It says, see how they love. That's what they said in the book of Acts. And that's what we want SCC to be known for. The People are not going to be impressed by our size, by our buildings, by our great music, or our good-looking pastor, obviously. But people will be impressed when we love each other and they see that. They go, you know what? Those people, none of them are perfect. They love anybody there. My goodness, look at the people they love. They love weirdos like me. And when they see that, they know it's real. Why would they love each other like that? That's what we want to be known for. Second Timothy 1.7 says, The Holy Spirit doesn't want you to be afraid of people but to be wise and strong and love them and enjoy being with them. Don't be afraid of people. In fact, God's answer to fear is community. Philippians 1.27 says, You are working together and struggling side by side to get others to believe the good news. This verse has two goals, and that's what we're doing over these 40 days and really as our church after that even, to deepen community within the church first and then to reach out into the community around us. We all need each other. We need believers to walk with us. We need believers, we need people to work with us, to watch over us, to wait and to weep with us, and we need them to witness with us. So turn to the person next to you and say, man, I really, really, really need to be in a group. Go ahead, tell them. I really, really need to be in a group. And then you turn to that person and say, you sure do, buddy. That's your declaration of interdependence. This church is all about community, folks. Community is in our name. It's our middle name, Seminole Community Church. Hello. And of all the people that God could have brought to SEC the beginning of 2022 or tuned in to SEC at the beginning of 2022, he chose you. Why did he choose you at this time, at the start of 40 days of community, to bring you to SCC? It's because he wants to use you, and he wants you to have community. And you can't really learn about community without being in community.
But I don't want you to sit on the sidelines these next 40 days. Get, dive in. Let's pray. Why don't you pray with me? And you can just pray this prayer. Any of this prayer that applies to you, please feel free to pray. Say, dear God, forgive me for the times I felt like I didn't need other people in my life. Is that something you want to pray? Or pray this place. Say, God, I want to be a part of what you're doing on earth through your family, the church. I want to experience real community. How about this? God, I'm tired of superficial relationships. I want to learn to really love and be loved in a deeper way. Maybe this needs to be your prayer. You need to open up your life to Jesus and say, God, I want to open my life up to you. To you, Jesus. Please come into my life. Accept me into your family. Maybe this can be your prayer. God, thank you for this place to belong and to grow. I don't want to be a passive follower anymore. And some of you need to pray, today I commit to getting into a small group so I can learn about community. We can all pray, God, please bless our church family as we do 40 days of community together. It's in your name I pray. Amen.